When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. It stinks. It stinks. It stinks. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition (laughs) of Affected by Altitude, uh, where everything stinks, as quoted by the critic. And I'm your host, Skylar Timmons, and this is a Purple Row podcast of the Rocky Mountain Rooftop Network, a proud member of the Fans First Sports Network. And I am joined here, as always, by my neighborino here, Evan Lang. Full of uh, country goodness and green penis. Oh, wait, that's terrible. It's true. I think we've made that joke before. Still funny, though. <laughs> like, what do we want, man? If you've never watched The Critic, the bits with Orson Welles that are sort of lampooning the later years of his career are truly very funny television. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you're like me, you've only seen The Critic through one very good episode of The Simpsons, and that's all you needed. Which is also true. There's also, in uh, in Pinky and the Brain, they let Maurice LaMarche do just like the whole actual commercial outtake thing from that Frozen Peas commercial that Orson Welles did. Mm. Also very funny. <laughs> but we're not here to reminisce about old cartoons from the past. That really peaked in the 90s. Uh, We're here to talk about a team that also kind of peaked in the 90s. If they ever peaked at all. Uh, The Colorado Rockies. Which, Evan, not good times. Not good times at all for our purple-clad, dino-loving team of whoever. Yeah, especially right now where we just got absolutely shellacked by um, by the San Francisco Giants. Whom we've lost what is it, 11 uh, games in a row against them going back to 2021? Yeah. It doesn't matter how bad or wherever the Giants are in their season or how they're doing. They just always beat up on the Rockies. And then we welcomed the Padres to town yesterday and just got curb stomped for a couple innings. Uh, We're able to, you know, make it a little bit more of a ball game late in the evening, but by that point, it didn't really matter. And most people were watching the Denver Nuggets anyway. Yeah. So a, a much better team by all measures, really. And fortunately, we won't be spending all the time talking about the Nuggets either. But uh, go Nuggies. They're doing it, Evan. They're doing it. Some of the best basketball I have ever seen this team play in its 47-year history. 
and it's coming in the NBA Finals, which is exactly what you want. And honestly, it would probably be a much more fun podcast if we could just talk about how good the Nuggets are. But unfortunately, Skyler, I think we've got to talk about the Rockies. Yeah, and probably for the next 47 years until they stumble their way into a World Series again somehow. Unlike the Nuggets who earned their way there by sheer competitiveness. If it's going to take 47 years, then that means we only have 17 years left. Woo! Or unless it's 47 years from now. No, nah, because it was it was the Nuggets started as an NBA team 47 years ago. So then we would be gauging from 93 onward, I think, for the Rockies. But either way, it's... <laughs> either way, they'll get there eventually, maybe. But yeah, so we're going to talk Rockies baseball. And primarily, we're going to talk about the power outage, what's happening with the closer role, and we're going to have a little fun at the end of the show and do our own little draft because we needed something fun to cl- <laughs> to cleanse the palate because this team's exhausting to talk about all the time. But let's just hop right into it. Evan, where are the home runs, and why don't the Rockies hit more home runs? I, I legitimately don't. No, and it's like it's like Bill Schmidt Smith said. It's like, yeah, I'm very confused by the lack of power because on paper, we have guys who can hit for power. We have plenty of guys who should be able to hit home runs. And nobody's doing it. Nobody on the team has over 10 home runs. And we're and 60 have, some odd games into the season. And we have the, uh, we're tied for the, it's a three-way tie for third fewest home runs in the league with the Cincinnati Reds and the Detroit Tigers, both of whom are also bad teams at 51 home runs. And you look at the, you look at this roster and you see guys who supposedly should be able to hit home runs, but only Ryan McMahon leads the, leads the team and he still doesn't have more than 10. He has nine. And a bunch of guys who just have zero and guys who you expect to hit home runs. You expect Alan Trejo to have all have a home run or two. Um, even Harold Castro, like he's not a big bopper, but he'll occasionally go yard. Uh-huh. Randall Grichik, you know, Chris Bryant, we've talked about. Charlie Blackman's power is greatly diminished. You know, Brenton Doyle, we know he has power. He only has a couple of home runs. You know, Diaz has pop. He doesn't really have many home runs. Like, there's no pop or power from this team. And it's extremely noticeable when all anybody ever talks about is, oh, you play at Coors Field, you must be having... No, yeah. it, it's guaranteed a home run every time you make make contact with the ball. This alleged hitter's paradise that I guess we just don't know how to use anymore mm-hmm. because the Rockies have hit 20, I think, no, 30 home runs because Moustakis had a home run last night at Coors Field this year. Opposing batters have hit 50. Like that's, that's not okay, and I don't know where to address it because you've the guys who you expect some of this power from are hitting well. Like Randall Gritchick is hitting extremely well, but he's just not generating the power that you would expect he's getting tons of doubles, but he just can't lift it over, over the fence all the way. And granted, we've seen a couple times, especially at Coors field where the much maligned British barrier 
is taking away home runs. Yeah, and, and so maybe that's one thing, but that doesn't matter as much if guys – the sure way to hit a home run at Coors Field is pull the ball because you pull it and it's going to land right field, left field, or down the lines in that you know, prime area on the pull side power. They just don't have it. And I think it goes – a lot of it goes back to things we've harped on where they're just not hitting the ball as hard. No, they've decreased ground balls. They're hitting more fly balls this season. But there's just no authority when they're hitting the ball. And probably should look at their their pull percentages and stuff. But th- there's just no power when they've given up more, almost the same amount of home runs at Coors Field as they've hit as a team in the season in total with 51 home runs. That's pretty bad. And I think they're on pace to you know, have the lowest home run total for a season in franchise history in a regular full season. Which is exactly what was happening last year, too. And the year and, before that. And the year before that. And it's it's weird because 2019, we actually hit a decent amount of home runs despite not being a particularly good team. Same for 2018, 2017. While the offenses on those teams weren't great, the team was still hitting for power. But over the last few years, this year and last year especially, we've just seen this immense power drain. And... It's very, it's very, very odd because the Rockies of a team are actually doing great in terms of their batted ball profile. Uh, mm-hmm. Line drives at 28.3% and ground balls at 39.4 with a fly ball rate of 26.3. That's good. That is a, a good, solid rate. But then you look at the amount of barrels that we're getting or even solid contact, and it's like under 5% for solid contact. And we're pulling the ball a decent amount. 40%, it looks like. But what's really weird is that we're also hitting the ball dead on and opposite field at a pretty good clip, too. Like, things are fairly even. This team is just not hitting the ball hard at all one of the worst exit velocities in the league. It's just like 87.9%. One of the lowest hard hit percentages in the league. One of the lowest barrel percentages in the league. And it's, it's really weird because even with Randall Gritchick, he's actually got a fantastic barrel percentage. He's one of the few, no, he's the only guy on this team with a barrel percentage over 15%. He's barreling the ball at a 16.5% clip. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong guy. That was CJ Crone, <laughs> who hasn't played in several weeks. Yeah. CJ Crone, who has six home runs, second most on the team and hasn't played in almost a month. And we don't know when he'll play again. Uh-huh. But I, I bring up Randall Gritchick because Randall Gritchick is a decent power hitting batter. That's one of the reasons why the Rockies got him is that he can hit for he can hit for power and he's a good fly ball hitter. And we saw last year that he was struggling with ground balls a lot. He had a terrible ground ball rate. This year, that's not the case. This year, he's got a great ground ball rate. He's only grounding out, uh, grounding the ball 34% of the time. He's getting on base. He's getting good hits. He's he's probably one of the best hitters on this team right now. Uh-huh. But it's just not translating at all. And when you have only three guys on the team who have more than five home runs. That's Elias Diaz, CJ Crone, and Ryan McMahon. And one of those guys hasn't played in over a month. 
it's it's very clear to to anyone looking that this team has a power problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes you wonder because you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, which who's the Tampa Bay Rays have never been thought of. Oh, they're the best hitting team in the league. Pitching wise, they're fantastic, and then they get enough offense to win games that their pitching holds down for them. But Tampa Bay success this season, Texas Rangers, no success this season. It's come down to the fact that they put up some runs and they hit long, hit the long ball a lot, and that's something that the Rockies used to be, where there's tons of guys they would be be hitting home runs all the time. It felt like there was at least like a couple guys, no, two to three guys in the lineup for many years of this guy. I'm confident he feels like he could hit a home run every time he goes up to the plate. Yeah. You have a couple guys every season who, you know, we're going to hit for 30 home runs every year. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't have anybody get to 30 last year. I think uh, CJ petered out at what? 29. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of guys who were on the cusp of 20, but it's you're, you're you're right. You look at teams like the Rays, where they have six players who all have more than ten home runs, or you look at the uh, Rangers, who I'm pulling up right now, and they only have two guys who have more than ten. But both of those guys have way more than ten. You have Adolis Garcia at the top, who's got fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a thing I pointed out last night on Twitter in the from Friday's game against the Padres that Fernando Tatis Jr., who has played in 43 games this season, he leads the Padres with 12 home runs. Ryan McMahon has played in like 63 games. He has nine home runs, and that leads the Rockies. And you know, and they play at some pretty different home ballpark environments where San Diego, pretty much a pitcher's park, even though they've changed the dimensions to make it more hitter-friendly, still fairly a hitter's park or a pitcher's park versus Coors Field. The stigma of, oh, it's a home run ballpark. We're just not getting it. And so it makes you wonder, if, is it an organizational issue where we're just getting out prepped by other teams? Pitchers know how to attack Rockies hitters to where we're not generating power or are there mechanical things they need to address, analytics, doing something so they can generate more I guess, power and lift to knock some balls out of the ballpark. I mean, I think it's a mix of everything. Uh, the Rockies especially have never really been one for analytics and and preparation in particular for other teams. But I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a mechanical issue, at least much of one, because we have seen a tremendous shift in the quality of at-bats this season under new hitting coach Hensley Mullins. Uh, like I mentioned before, ground ball rates way down, line drive rate is way up. Like they are taking better at bats. They're just not getting any power. They're just not hitting the ball hard. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the weirdest thing. It's like you look at these guys and they've got good swings. They're making uh they're they're getting the hits, they're getting on base, but they're not hitting the ball hard. They're not making good contact. It's just really mm-hmm. weird. It's all really weird. Yeah. And just looking at some stats, no, they're second in all of baseball in batting average on balls in play at a 324 clip. That's just behind the Rangers. So that's pretty good uh, on a 
on the balls in play. But then this is a pretty pretty dim thing is when they the fly balls they are hitting aren't doing anything. So yeah, they're hitting more, but they're not doing anything where they have a home run to fly ball ratio of 8.3%. That is 29th in all of baseball, just ahead of the Cleveland Guardians, who their really main power guy is Jose Ramirez, and he's not having a great year <laughs> at the moment, and behind, and we're behind the Washington Nationals, who are at an 8.5 clip. So yeah, we're hitting more fly balls and line drives. Those fly balls aren't doing anything. They're just sort of lazy out to the center fielder. You know, we're not roping them. When they do make contact and a ball goes flying, Rockies are just smashing home runs yeah. when they make contact. Look at um, look at Nolan Jones uh, the other day where he hit an absolute bullet. Um, longest, longest Rockies home run of the season. Second longest MLB home run. One of the hardest hit home runs. He hit this thing 483 feet at 114.2 miles per hour. He obliterated that ball. So you know that these guys have the potential to do that. CJ Crone is also high on the list of longest home runs and hardest hit home runs. Ryan McMahon is hitting the ball pretty hard. Uh-huh. When he's making good contact, he's hitting like 110, 112 miles per hour, but he's just not getting them out of the park. And another really weird thing with this team right now in terms of hitting is that our, our three core hitting stats, average on base and slugging, are all fairly okay. Uh-huh. If they're not great, they're sitting around league average. So like our slugging percentage is tied for is is pretty much exactly league average right now. It's the 15th best at 403. You know, 403, not a great slugging percentage, but compared to the rest of the league, it's fine. It's average. Same for on base where we're around league average. And uh, our team batting average, where we've got the ninth best team batting average in the league. Uh-huh. But we're not doing anything with any of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's we're not getting those. No, when we are getting home runs, it's, oh, it's a solo shot or oh, a nice little two-run homer. Those are nice. But it's in those big moments, you're not getting that big, you know, nail in the coffin type of home run hit that, we've seen come against the Rockies this season where all oh, bases loaded. No well, Rockies still haven't hit a grand slam. Eh, no, that's not one thing to harp on. You no, know, but it's, it's a little weird though. Yeah. It's weird when, you know, how many times they've, we've seen them load the bases and they don't score because nobody can get a hit. We don't have the big bopper to come in and just slug one out. And so it's that weird dynamic where there's just no power. No, like we're saying, Looking at the Rockies lineup, there's nobody that I have confidence in in the terms of, okay, without a doubt, I know this guy ha- can hit a home run You know, in this instant. I expect him to, to hit a home run. That's like the best-case scenario. It, it's on the table. But these last couple of years, you know, even at times with C.J. Crone, you're like, oh, I know he can do it, but I don't have all the utmost confidence that he can just – but sometimes how he's swinging the bat is he in a hot in a hot streak at the moment or not? Whereas in the years, whereas like in the years past, we had oh Nolan Arnauto's coming up or Trevor Story's coming up, Cargo's coming up. Yeah, I, well, I'm expecting Dong City at the moment. You no know, old Chuck, and things are 
No, Todd Helton used to be like that. And Matt Holiday, Troy Tulowitzki. We don't really have those guys anymore. Or we have them. They're just not in that mold yet, which is what I would like. What's really strange about this team is that we are getting hits and we're getting extra base hits. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not as big of a problem as it has been in previous years. Rockies have the fourth most hits in the total hits in the league, and they have the most doubles in the league. They have 144 doubles as a team, and we have multiple guys pushing 20 doubles. We have multiple guys who are all over 10. Um, Ryan McMahon and Ezekiel Tovar both have 18, and we're also hitting a fair amount of triples. We have 10 triples as a team. Uh So... You can tell that there, there is okay stuff going on there. Like the, I have the last couple of years, especially I have complained very much about how broken the team's offense is, and the complaints are not even remotely the same this year. It is so weird. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's there's still just that one missing component of their offense. You know, it's good. Less ground balls. You know, I don't walks and strikeouts are always weird. But even those, like, you're seeing improvements in areas with different guys. And then, the, like, the extra base hits with doubles and triples. But they're still missing that big, that big power hit. And the home run, uh, a guaranteed run. That's the easiest way to score a run. You know, the guaranteed way to score a run is when you get a home run and the Rockies just aren't hitting them. And so that's a lot of missed opportunities where there's guys on base and we just can't get that big hit because it's strikeout, strikeout, pop out with a guy on second base. Uh, and so it's few and far in between, but hopefully you know, they can figure something out, uh, really address it in the off season. Uh, like, okay, why don't we have more power? Why aren't we getting more power out of our guys? And figure out a way to address it instead of, well, we'll just bring in this known home run hitter. No, what are you doing to help improve your guys so their plate approach can result in more home runs, more extra base hits? Yeah, and the, the last thing I'll, I'll say on this before we take a, take a quick break is that Hensley Mullins, Bam Bam Mullins, has clearly done a very good job mm-hmm. with this team where a lot of the issues that we were talking about last year, the incredibly high ground ball rate, and the the difficulty getting extra base hits, the very empty batting average, a lot of those have improved tremendously. I think Bam Bam is a fantastic hitting coach, and he is working well for this team. What this means for me, and it's exactly like you said, this is something that we address in the offseason and continue to work on throughout this year of what adjustments can we make, what can we continue to improve to fix the next problem. Uh-huh. Because he's shown that he can he can help make adjustments and fix these problems. Yeah, and like even minor in season adjustments. Because look at you know, Ryan McMahon and uh, kind of the turnaround he's kind of having. And yeah, he hits the ball hard. He's just really having a lot of bad luck because he's just smoking it right at guys. Yeah, it things is like that. It's like oh man, he hit that ball a million miles per hour right into the glove of the shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Bam Bam's doing some good. And it's a nice breath of fresh air. There's just that one, one component that we all that the organization still needs to figure out of 
know how to put it together instead of just shrugging like we anticipated more home runs. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what's going start? on? Well, we brought in Mike Moustakis, and Mike Moustakis used to hit a lot of home runs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Moose has three home runs this year. Mm-hmm. And granted, he's not he's not playing that much. But come on. Yeah. Or And also, you can't blame the power outage on Brendan Rodgers being injured, Bill Schmidt. He's not that big of a home run hitter in the first place. Yeah. He, he's like a medium home run hitter. He'll get you 10 plus. But he's never going to be like a 30-plus home run hitter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's weird, man. But hopefully we'll get more home runs in the future. (sighs) One day. One day indeed. But we'll go ahead and take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're also going to talk about some pitching aspects and some shuffling going on around there. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these brief messages. All right, welcome back here to Affected by Altitude. I'm Skyler, that's Evan. Uh, we are chugging along here with, if you're watching the video version, you'll see our very humorous Hurricane Nettie references to The Simpsons. We are quoting a lot before the show started, so it just kind of converged into one thing. Fun times. But <laughs> we're not here to talk about The Simpsons. We're here to talk about now... Uh, on Friday, we got some news that there's going to be some shuffling in the back end of the bullpen as Bud Black told reporters that Pierce Johnson is effectively removed from the closer role uh, after some rough outings against the San Francisco Giants and overall just some kind of inconsistent inconsistency out of that ninth inning role for Pierce Johnson. And so he's out. We don't really know who's going to fill that void. And from what it sounds like, it might be a you know, by assignment, by committee of matchups, who's who's going to be the hot hand. But, uh, yeah, so Pierce Johnson out of the closer role. Evan, what do you make of this? So Pierce Johnson is is tough because he's never really been a closer before. And we sort we put him into this role. And we know that he is, you know, on, on paper at least, he's a much better pitcher than, than what we've seen out of him lately. His ERA is ballooned to 750. But you know, his FIP is 5.36 and and has the potential to go even lower. I just don't think he's the choice for high leverage closer mm-hmm. situations, especially over the last couple of games where he's he's really struggled to to get the job done. And I don't think that's necessarily an indictment of Johnson overall as a pitcher. Some guys are just not closers. Mm-hmm. And we we saw him rattle off like eleven consecutive saves. But they're still kind of high wire acts. <laughs> But they were exactly they were not like clean saves. You, a lot of them seemed very fluky or lucky or mm-hmm. ooh, thank goodness he he got out of that situation. Versus like Pierce Johnson in general has been much more of a middle or late inning guy, not a closer. He actually got you know he has five years of of play in the big leagues before this year, and this year was the first time he ever notched a save. Um. Do I think we should like DFA Johnson or anything like that? No, I think we should do what we've done before when a guy isn't working out as a closer and and move him to a lower leverage situation and get a much better picture of where he is at as a reliever. Do I think that he is untouchable? Absolutely not, especially when you have guys like Gavin Hollowell 
down in Albuquerque, who is pitching very well now that he's come back from injury. And eventually he's going to get called up and somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to get sent packing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I was just looking at his numbers. They're in that ninth inning role or that closer role, finishing out games. Six of his 26 outings he's had this season, in six of them he's allowed at least two runs. And he has uh, two outings where he's allowed three runs and then one outing where he allowed four runs <laughs> against the uh, Miami Marlins. Rockies ended up winning that 7-6, to six, so panned out. But, yeah, he's... He was just kind of thrown into that role because Daniel Bard was going to be the de facto closer, but then he starts the season on the injured list with the anxiety. And so they kind of scramble like, Oh, let's just stick Pierce Johnson in there. And so he he did admirably, but like we're saying, it's just that high wire act where the walks and then having to pitch around walks and men on base. Now you don't want your closer coming in and immediately walking guys. No, that's a problem we've seen Daniel Bard have at times too. And <laughs> he can get his strikeouts. We've seen that, but, and he doesn't give up a lot of home runs. He's given up, what, like about five this season. So not great. But it, like you said, he's been a lot better than some of those numbers indicate. And he's yeah. a lot better pitcher than some of that success. But I think for, for a fill in closer, it was kind of a, I don't want to say last minute, but last minute decision for the first third or so of the season. I think Johnson performed fairly admirably, but we've reached the the peak of where he can really be as a closer. Whereas for the majority of his career, he's worked in the seventh and eighth innings. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you're going to want to make that switch where we move him. I'd like to see him more in the seventh because it tends to be a lot less, a lot lower leverage. Um, at that point in the game, and we can we can get more of a fair evaluation of where he is at right now. Um, but it really is then just deciding well who is going to take over as the closer. And there's there's plenty of options though. I have I have one that I prefer, and I think it needs to be uh, if it's not going to be Daniel Bard retaking his closer spot, I think it needs to be Justin Lawrence. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I think he'd be a good one and. We'll rattle off the options right now, and we'll dive more into Lawrence. So there's Daniel Bard. You've got uh, Jake Bird. There's Brent Suter. You've got Brad Hand. And then there's Justin Lawrence. And am I forgetting anybody? It's like most of the bullpen. <laughs> Basically, anybody in that bullpen could be the closer. Yeah, you, have some, you have some guys in the minors like Gavin Hollowell who – who projects as a closer for when he's got some solid big big league experience around him and potentially Nick Mears, who has some really interesting stuff in his mechanics and his pitching that um, you could put to use in a closing role. But for right now, we're really looking at those five who are on the big league roster. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I think I'm in agreement with you where Justin Lawrence seems like he seems like one of the best options. If not Daniel Bard, if they don't feel like he's quite ready or ready to turn that corner and take it back over, Justin Lawrence seems like a pretty good option for for the time being to get the majority of those closing opportunities to to get saved because we've seen him work in the ninth inning. We've seen him work no eighth inning and ninth inning. So he, he seems like the the kind of closer you'd want 
the kind of pitcher you'd want there in those late innings and in that ninth inning because he's got some good stuff. And the the reason why I really, really like Lawrence as the closer is that for the most part, I view Justin Lawrence as a, a one-inning guy. He can work multiple innings, and we've seen him work multiple innings. But especially what's been asked of him, he gets called in in a lot of high-leverage situations where he's got to get some tough outs, and he does fantastic. And then they'll keep him in, and because he burned a lot of energy on getting those high-leverage outs, he he's just not as not as polished in the second inning. We saw that in one of his most recent outings where this was again against the Giants. Lawrence comes in, bases are bases are occupied. He gets three really tough outs and was was fantastic. And then they they brought him in for the next inning and he just you know struggled a whole lot more. And I don't think that's like an and I've said this before, it's not an indictment of Justin Lawrence as a pitcher. It's that I think he does his his best, or at least he does very well in single inning high leverage situations. And that is exactly what a closer needs to be. Uh, per baseball reference, in high leverage situations, he's got a strikeout to walk ratio that's a, a little higher at 1.18. So he does walk more batters. Um, but he's got one of the lower OPSs um, for his splits at, at 717. Obviously, like any pitcher, he does his best in low leverage situations. But What's really funny about him is um, his his batting splits against him are at their worst in medium leverage situations, where in, in what's called medium leverage, he's got opposing batters hitting 313, 364, 433, the highest for all, uh, all three categories, except for on-base percentage, which is a little interesting. Um but and this is this is throughout his entire career, of course. So we're looking at both 2021 and 2022. Um, but this year especially, he's been very good in high leverage situations with that frisbee sweeper of his. Uh-huh. And I am really, really happy with where he is at as a pitcher, where I want to see what he can do as a closer. Because if I pull up his his 2023 splits and scroll on down basically to exactly where I was at here. His high leverage splits are fantastic this season. In 44 high leverage plate appearances this season, he's got a strikeout to walk ratio of just 3.67, and batters against him have an OPS of 440. But things get to be a little hinkier the more he pitches. Uh-huh. And and that happens with a lot of relievers where you're out there and you're throwing gas to get these high leverage outs. You're, you're just expending more energy where you're getting more break on your pitches. You're getting more velocity on your pitches. The trade-off is that you're going to have less stamina and you're going to have less of that stuff to tap into your next inning out. Uh-huh. And if Lawrence can continue to be really good in these high leverage situations. I see no reason why he can't be the closer going forward. If Bard is not ready to resume his role. Mm-hmm. And it's good too with Lawrence. Yeah. He's not throwing the hundred mile an hour gas heaters anymore or as much, uh, but he's still got a nice hard sinker being that side armor that it fits really well into a closer role where he's got the sinker and he's got the sweeper. He's pounding sinkers, sweeper sets it to set up that sweeper, 
whips across the strike zone and, and you get him. He's kind of like Adam Adovino in that aspect where Adovino, just, he was tossing his, his fastballs and stuff in there to set up a slider. And so he kind of fits that mold of, yeah, this is a good guy to bring in a high leverage top, no top bottom of the ninth save situation. And he can go out there and, and get you a couple punch outs and a ground out. And so a lot more confidence in his makeup as a pitcher and where he's gotten, where he's got the velocity going for him. And he's got two really good pitches and that really good wipeout pitcher, wipeout pitch of a sweeper. So it all kind of goes together, meshes well. And we've, and, and we've discussed before, and I've written about how, you know, you mentioned his, his velocity not being quite the same is that that was an adjustment that he made to have Mm -hmm. better command. Mm-hmm. And he can still dip in and get that 100-mile-per-hour sinker if you need him to. But ideally, you don't need him to mm-hmm. because he's got just that wicked sweeper. And I think he just profiles so well for the closing role, especially because the other four pitchers on this list, excluding Daniel Bard, you have Suter, Bird, and Hand. Brad Hand is very much a situational pitcher. You you don't really, I think, have him slotted for a client kind of closing role. And for Bird and for Suter, we rely on them way too much for their middle innings work and working extra, uh-huh. where both Bird and Suter are the one and two most used by innings pitchers in relief this season in all of Major League Baseball. And Lawrence is up there. J-Law is, I think, number five or number six right now. He's gotten a lot of work in. But if I had to pick any of these guys, it's Lawrence. Lawrence profiles the best as the closer. Mm-hmm. And, and like thinking some of those other guys, Suter and, and Hand, they're a little bit more of a soft tossing side of things. And ideally, you don't want a soft tosser there in the ninth inning. Then I like with you no know, with Lawrence. No, he could dip in. That's kind of what you want in that ninth inning. You no, know, with the game on the line. You're got a brief margin of victory to be able to even have a guy that if he needs to can dip in to just pump gas right by somebody for a strikeout. You'd love to see that in the ninth inning. And yeah, Jake Bird and Brent Suter, they're best there in those middle innings to kind of bridge the gap and, and eat those innings with those rubber arms and keep things keep things alive for the for the next guy to get to Lawrence. Good bridge guys. And then Jay and uh, Brad Hand, that's his name. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely that situational guy. And there's also kind of like the incentive not to have him close out games because with his contract, his $7 million contract option for next season becomes guaranteed if he closes 25 games this season. He's at six. And so currently not on pace to, to get there, but there's kind of that financial... You know, like, well, we don't want to kind of be tied to this what thirty-four year old for seven million dollars next season, and so maybe we can hold him back to just make sure he doesn't get to twenty-five, because otherwise, it's a team option with a five hundred k buyout. Yeah, if he ends up getting traded, it becomes a mutual option for whoever he goes to. But so there's some incentive not to let hand close among the beyond the the matchups and everything. But yeah, I think Lawrence Lawrence should get that first look. 
because I think he's earned it, but he's proven himself and grown over his time as a big leaguer and the time he's been up with the Rockies. This season, he's really earned earned that role and that chance to do that because he, he's got the stuff for it. He's got the makeup for it. Yeah, and I it's always great because I, I love watching pitchers like, all right, 96, 96, 97, 102. Where'd that come from? <laughs> Woo! And, and uh, J-Law does have that, that sort of burn your eyebrows off velocity when he needs it. But the fact that he's not relying purely on, purely on that anymore because with his sinker in, in 2021 especially, he was very reliant on that pure velocity. And now that he doesn't need to rely purely on velocity, it shows you how much he has grown as a big leaguer. And and I agree that he, he needs that opportunity. And I also, with, with the other guys, especially Suter and Bird, you don't want to mess with this bullpen too much because, unfortunately, this bullpen is organized due to the faults of the rotation. And we've talked at length about the rotation, but the fact that we have two long relievers who regularly need to get called into use in Peter Lambert and Matt Caraciti says a lot about how this bullpen is constructed. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and I like kind of one last thing the growth with Lawrence. And this is a thing that a lot of baseball players and pitchers, I think have to realize at some point, is there's more to pitching than just pumping gas where we've seen him grow from guy that throws gas, just a thrower into a pitcher where he's now setting stuff up. He's got a wipeout pitch. And so it comes to, okay, how do I attack the zone and attack hitters to set up this pitch to fool him, to get him swing at my sweeper down and away. And we've seen him grow right, evolve into that right before our eyes this season, which is awesome to see. And that's what you want because a lot of these guys can rely just on velocity growing up through high school, college, even through the minor leagues up to a point. And, but in the big leagues, you got to be more than just a thrower. You got to learn how to pitch and become a bona fide pitcher in all sense of the word. And, and that's what he's done. And yeah. so we'd and, love to and see we've seen out. we've seen other relievers in the big leagues make these same kind of developments. A guy who it reminds me of a lot is Edwin Diaz in his early days uh-huh. was much more of a thrower. He was going to pump that straight gas at you. And we saw him really develop into a more of a pitcher than a thrower like we've seen for for Justin. And I feel vindicated because I've been. I've been singing the praises of Justin Lawrence since he was in the minors because I always thought that he had this kind of potential. And it's so great to see him realizing that potential because I I just knew that he had this kind of ability. He just had to hone it, to fine-tune it, to find his place. And that's what he's done. Uh-huh. You could say that about. We wish a lot of guys could follow suit. But... Not everybody pans out, but looks like Lawrence is for now, ever for the time being. And hopefully he gets that opportunity here. <coughs> All right. Well, we talked a lot more about the closer role than we thought we would. <laughs> so it's time to take another break here, Evan. Uh, when we come back, I think it's draft time, Evan. Okay. You ready? You ready the for it? breaks not for another month. Uh, 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 uh. No, we're drafting our own little teams. It'll be fun. Uh, 
So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere here on Affected by Altitude. Hello and welcome back here to Affected by Altitude. We had our intro music playing there, but Evan decided to cut it short. Uh, So we decided to kind of do something fun here to kind of close out the show. Sometimes the Rockies are stressful and we didn't want it to just be a straight no negative or harping on fest, which I think we've actually done pretty good here in this, in this episode, staying away from being, (laughs) it's very easy to dive into ranting and raving and it's fun too, but we decided to have a little fun here. It is the Rockies 30th anniversary of the season. And despite the team kind of performing how you'd expect they would, uh, and they're doing some celebration. I mean, we've had, couple of alumni appearances at Coors Field. Aaron Cook is there for this this weekend against the Padres. And kind of strapped our own little favorite teams. And so this one, folks, we're going to take turns here. Uh, filling out a classic lineup, National League-style rules of a 1 through 9. And how many relievers should we do? Just one closing pitcher or maybe uh, two relievers? That's- so we're doing a we're doing a one through nine, including a starting pitcher. We also want to yes. um, ask how many starting pitchers do we want to take? Do we want to fill out full rotation or just pick one or two? Uh, let's just do one, one for now. This is like a your this is our opening day single exhibition. We're gonna have our one starter who's gonna throw us eight innings. <laughs> and then so, we're gonna. So then, then let's do. We'll do a one through nine classic lineup. So eight position players and your starting pitcher, and then a closer. That works. And then you can pick your manager if you want. I'd be, I'm down. Let's pick a manager. Um, so to determine who's go, who goes first, we're going to flip a coin. Skyler, uh, call it heads or tails. Uh, tails. Heads. Blasted. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go first. Okay. I'm going to pull on my piece of paper here so I can keep track. And we will put these on the internets, on the Twitters, and you people can vote for them. Yeah, we'll post these on the uh, on the per- post on Purple Row, and we'll put it up on Twitter as well. You can uh, tell us who you think has the better uh, better lineup. All right, Evan, who's your first pick in the inaugural Affected by Altitude Player Draft? See, this one's really tough because I know for a fact that there's two players that one of us is going to take one of for each of these two, because <laughs> obviously. So I'm going to go with my favorite player of all time, playing right field for Evans, Colorado Rockies, number 33, Larry Walker. All right. Larry Walker. I guess we can do this snake style draft where then I pick, pick again, and then you do pick, pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay, Larry Walker. Then me. Uh, well, pretty Nafie easy. Per- Nafi Perez. Yeah. <laughs> Random homie, Mark Thompson. No, Brooks uh, Kieschnick. This is a pretty easy one. First pick. He's going to handle my first baseman duties. Future Hall of Famer, the Todd Father. Let's make a man off. I can't refuse. It's actually not a bad impression. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so we got Todd Helton. Uh, and then right away, oh, man, who do I want? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm snagging him right now for the outfield, Carlos Gonzalez. All right. Uh, for third base, I'm going to take Nolan Arenado. Ooh. I, I thought that, about it. I know that there's the bad blood there, but he truly is one of the best players of all time for this organization. It's true. Yeah, it's he's a he's a tough one not to pick. Anyway, I think it's you again, Evan. All righty, this one's a little tougher. trying to decide who I want my first baseman to be and I think it's going to be Andres Galarraga sure you don't want Daniel Murphy or Ian Desmond uh I want Ben Paulson (laughs) did have a good mustache he was one of those guys where I I thought he had had very good potential but Mm. Alrighty, back to me. Uh, second base, we're going with DJ LeMayhew. I mean, how can you not take just a solid gold glove at second base? Plus, he gets on base. And I'll do what the Yankees did and just tell him, you hit the ball wherever you want to. You do whatever, DJ. That's a 2016 batting title winner, DJ LeMayhew. Mm-hmm. So I'll take him, and then I will compliment him. This is the tough one. Who do I want to be his middle infield partner? (laughs) One of of two options, basically. Uh, Yeah. You know what? I'm in a, what is this, a 2013 type of mood? (laughs) We're going to put too low there at shortstop, and I'm going to exhaust all my resources into making sure he stays healthy. Uh, if you're taking too low, then I'm taking story. <laughs> and then second baseman is tough because you really did take the, I would say the best second baseman that we've ever had as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> see, this really narrows it down to two guys for me. Mm-hmm. It's either EY senior or it's Brendan Rogers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a kind of a tough one because that's really what it boils down. There's like some single season guys you can pick, but I'm not going to pick Ronnie Belliard. <laughs> or uh, oh, who is it in 2012 World Series champion Marco Scudero? Who is it? It was 96 or 97, like Jeff Abbott. <laughs> I'm telling you. See if you if you go to if you go to Baseball Reference and you pull up the the all time start opening day starters list or the regular starters list and you look at the guys who started the most games at at the position for each year, second base outside of really DJ LeMahieu is a mess. <clears throat> I think I'm going to go with Brendan Rogers. Ooh. It's a pretty get a little bit more pop out of that, I think, and you've still got that gold glove defense. 
pretty good pick. EY Senior is not a not a bad pick. Absolutely, absolutely not. EY though. Junior. <clears throat> Can you still believe that EY Junior was a thing? It's such a weird thing in Rockies history. <laughs> they had both EYs play in the organization. Still one of the best commercials I've ever seen. I feel like that happens a lot though, where mm-hmm. a lot of teams they'll they'll draft the son of one of their guys. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy. Okay, back over to me. Uh we're heading back out to the outfield. We'll bring in Mr. Chuck Nasty. I gotta figure out where I'm sticking these outfield guys. <clears throat> See that that's my problem is that I waited too long for outfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, do I make it even harder on you? I will. I'm going back to the outfield, Mister Matt Holiday. All right. So uh, Chuck's playing a uh, right field, and Cargo's going to be in center. I'm going to stick Chuck in in right field, Holiday in left. It's interesting that you put Cargo in in center because that's not really where he played that much. <clears throat> yeah, but he's he's got the legs for it still. He's better than True. Charlie out there. Uh, then give me Dexter Fowler and Brad Hop. Ooh, I'll put a uh, Dexter in center, and I'll put Brad Hop in right. Where's Larry Walker playing? Oh, that's right. I put I put Larry in in right. Uh, throw Hop in left. The Hopster. Though Larry Walker can play a more than yeah. more than competent left field, <laughs> like if he was that good in right, <laughs> yeah, I know. And he played some center field. It's one of those things too. Of well, we're keeping. It's only because of his defense is so awful that Dante Bichette's not on either of these <laughs> rosters. Yeah, that nineteen ninety nine season where he was one of the best hitters in the league, but still worth negative 2.3 R-War because his defense was so bad. Could you imagine if he had never gotten that knee injury playing some football prior to to one of those seasons in Milwaukee? If he had never had to get that knee surgery playing after playing some some football recreationally, I think it was like at a Thanksgiving or something. If that never happened, his defense probably would have Never tank because he was a good outfielder before that injury. That just took away his lateral movement and he just couldn't run anymore. Poor guy. All right, back over to me. What do I got here? Well, this is pretty easy. Third base, <laughs> Garrett Atkins. No, uh, don't you hate on Garrett Atkins? I love Garrett Atkins. He was good for a couple seasons, then he bet on himself and it didn't pan out. Also, injuries. the best of us, yeah, but uh, oh, can't. Take third baseman, if not Arenado, Vinny Castilla. Good times. People forget, too, how good of a defender he was. Plus, yeah, he was was so nimble early in his career, too. People also forget, I mentioned this pre-show, Vinny was drafted as a short, was was brought into the organization as a shortstop. Yeah. And it took him a while, like, yeah, that's your opening day third baseman. Eventually, when they finally decided on that. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Well, I guess all I have left is a catcher. This is the tough one because catching is probably the shallowest position in franchise history uh, of guys you really want to take. 
<laughs> Kurt Man wearing. Yeah. No. Uh no way. We, we every Rocky ever, we we got over the hate of Kurt Man wearing. Uh but oh man, I'm, this is a tough one. I don't want Ionetta. Uh, it's for me, it's like between Tori Alba. I guess you could take Diaz. But really for me, it's between Tori Alba and Girardi. And I think I'm gonna take Joe Girardi. The Joe original Girardi, who 93, 94 was really good. Yeah. But the original that, Rocky. That 95 season where he he just really diminished because he was getting older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna take Joe Girardi. There's there's a couple I could take, like me. Well, we'll let you pick first. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, those were my uh, I choose I Danny Artuan. As your catcher? Yeah, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> I will scratch the name out. <laughs> <laughs> I said it a little too confidently. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. See, it's really tough because real talk, his first two seasons, Willene Rosario was not that bad a catcher. But his uh-huh. defense just continued to get worse and worse, uh-huh. and his bat couldn't back it up. Um, I think I'm actually going to go with Elias Diaz. Not a bad pick. Who is uh, also just the second catcher in Rockies history. No, third, sorry, because I William Rosario. Third catcher in Rockies history to be the everyday starter at catcher for three straight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good pick. And the other ones I was thinking of, Miguel Olivo had a good season in 2010. Uh, this was before he tried to bite a guy's ear off down in Albuquerque when he was with the Dodgers. Uh, and like Jonathan Lucroy was good for half a season. But then Ionetta had some good stuff. But I honestly think there's better catchers than Chris Ionetta that have been for the with the organization just overall uh, you know tony tony walters as a as a pitch framer and for his um his ability to work with pitchers would have uh-huh. been a solid choice uh catcher is weird catcher is even more of a more of a mess than second base where we've had so many different catchers and we've never really had the one true franchise catcher this was one of the first things i ever wrote about on purple row way back when was how as a franchise we've never had a franchise catcher, which is what makes Drew Romo so tantalizing. Mm-hmm. Or like any of those other guys that are coming up. The, the catching position is a lot brighter than it's been you know, in years. Yeah. And and really, the only other guy that we had who was projected to be the franchise catcher other than Chris Iannetta was Ben Petrick, who I could talk for, for hours about Ben Petrick and what a shame it was. Um, that his playing career was cut short by early onset Parkinson's because he, if you don't remember, he was the guy. He could mm-hmm. do it all. He was a five-tool catcher. That was the crazy thing, is that he was a catcher who was fast, who could hit, who could field. He could do it all. Yeah, yeah. And so hopefully the future gets brighter with, with catchers because be nice. At least he is. Vote Diaz. He could be our first all-star catcher in team history, which that would be pretty exciting. That would be very cool. Like That's something I love about Elias Diaz is he he's not a perfect player, but he incorporates so many good parts 
of of the catching game mm-hmm. where when he's hitting he can hit really well he calls a very good game he works really well with the pitching staff especially young pitchers mm-hmm. i love it yes um and i i feel bad i was i was very much against the the signing when we first brought him in and he's ended up being uh, a guy I really like and I really appreciate. Uh, honorable mention, Drew Batera. He was going to be, uh, he was my second pick. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Drew Batera, you mean Austin Wins? Uh? Who are essentially the same guy. <laughs> uh? <laughs> they even were the same number. Oh, well, small world. Um, and then I think I get to pick our first pitcher. Yes, you do. See, this one's tough because do I dip into the old pitching staff or do I take one of our current pitchers? And I think I'm going to go with Kyle Freeland. Ooh. Nice. Kyle Freeland. I I thought about Kyle Freeland, uh, but I couldn't deny myself the opportunity to have one Ubaldo Jimenez take the ball on the mound for me. See, that was if I picked an older pitcher, it was going to be him. But I, I suppose I'm going more with like the the longevity factor, which is Freeland at this point. <laughs> uh, also, um, another really tempting one for me was Cookie. Yeah, uh, or Jorge De La Rosa is a good pick. Uh, oh, what's his name? Herman. John Gray, a lot more of the later ones. Mike Hampton, you could have picked. I'm a Mike Hampton apologist, and you know that. <laughs> hey, I wasn't paying attention to the Rockies much at that time, so I was just well, a was, wee. I was just a wee youngin in first grade. Yeah, versus you know, in 2001, I was in I was in fifth grade, so I was old enough to really be paying attention every day to the Rockies. I'd ask my dad for the sports and stuff like that. Mike Hampton, we've said this before. I won't hash out the whole conversation. The Rockies did not give him a fair chance. They signed mm-hmm. him to an eight year deal and he didn't, and they didn't let him play more than two seasons. Mm-hmm. They didn't give him a chance to figure it out, but Hey, at least they cut bait early and got some really long living prospects for that. Right. They did. They did what they did is they did exactly what they did with Daryl Kyle, where they took a, a, a pitcher who had really excelled elsewhere, signed into a big long term deal, and then cut bait when he wasn't immediately amazing. Hmm. Poor stuff. But uh, yeah. But Ubaldo Jimenez, I, I, I'm, I feel like Ubaldo. If he's on, I'm counting on 2010. Uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah, first half 2010 Ubaldo is yeah unbeatable. If nothing else, because there's you got a high powered lineup on here with Larry Walker, Arnado, Galarraga, Story, and then you've got like Hopster out there. Yeah, I a big reason why I picked Freeland hypothetically is because this roster is going to get him run support, something that he <laughs> doesn't really get a lot of, and that's what I hope my roster can do too. With Ubaldo, <laughs> if he's not on, at least he can keep me in close enough thanks to the offense. <laughs> Hopefully. And I've got some good defense so he can work behind him. 
Actually, we've both got some really good defense on these teams. Uh, and then closing pitcher for me, who's coming in in the ninth to close this sucker out, to seal the victory? Oh, this is a tough one. I was trying to think about it. I, mm, oh, this is tough. Because <laughs> it, it's hard with closers. Because there's, do you go with the guys that have le- have the franchise records for single season, career, or just or really go for, good, or guys who are just like consistent? Yeah, and it's just tough. But oh, I'm gonna regret this, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> I mean, are you picking like Bruce Ruffin? Because other no, than that, <laughs> no, like, there's not a whole lot of regret here. Like uh, you got your guys and whoever is it, whoever it is, whoever it is. I'm going to go with Houston street. See, that is, I think a good choice. I think that's a great choice. No, oh, but there's also some other ones that could be better. I'm just still reflecting on the 2009 postseason. See, I was, if you didn't pick Houston Street, I was probably going to. He was very high on my list um, because there have been some pretty underrated closers um, on this team. Some guys that I think a lot of people forget about, uh, guys like Jose Jimenez in the early 2000s, who held the single season saves record for the Rockies for a very long time. Um, and then you have even more recently, you know, Greg Holland's single season with the Rockies where he was an all star. Um, you know, Wade Davis in 2018 was actually very good. People forget about that because of how hard he fell off. Uh-huh. But that first season, he was looking like he was worth that contract we signed him to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then you have you have Daniel Bard right now. Um, but if you're going with Houston Street, then I gotta go with Brian Fuentes. Ooh, the pizza slinger. Nice. Who he still has the career. He holds the record in franchise history for most career saves. Uh, I think he does. That's a, that's a question. Yeah, that is correct. Um, top five, Brian Fuentes, 115. Jose Jimenez, 102. Houston Street, 84. Daniel Bard, 60, tied with Wade Davis and Bruce Ruffin for 60 each. Yeah. Uh, I was also going to say Raphael Betancourt was an option, but I just, I mean, if we're, I don't know if we're playing with pitch clock rules in this game, hypothetical game, but <laughs> I'm not throwing Betancourt out there with a pitch clock. If, if this is, if this is a classic lineup with no designated hitter, except we're only if we're playing an away game against an American league team, I'm going to say no pitch clock. Uh, old Betancourt would then then Betancourt would be a good option. Yeah, he's a he's a good secondary there, as long as you just don't mind him working as slowly as possible. But still funny. Uh, I think Alex Colomay was slower than him. Oh, Alex Colomay was that was uh that was tough. But oh, and, and one last thing here. Uh, but yeah, Houston Street, Brian Fuentes, good closers. You've got the the T-Rex arm lefty and winner of a guy's grocery game competition on Food Network. Oh, that's right. And then uh, I got Houston Street, who's a solid closer. Wasn't a hard tosser, but crafty closer. Did pretty good. Uh, But, Evan, who's captaining this squad? Who's at the helm as the skipper 
for your Evan Rockies? I gotta take I gotta take Groove. Give me big Don Baylor. Don Baylor. For, and as for me, uh what's his name? Smoking heaters. <laughs> no, I'm taking Clint Hurdle. Uh that you can't do better than Clint Hurdle is still one of the, the best Rockies coaches. I think just as a personality, he was the glue for those Rockies teams. You know, those years, you know, some of those years he carried them through some hard times, but you know, he, he helped write the ship at times. I mean, you could have picked, like he said, smoking eaters. You could have picked Jim Leland. That's his name. <laughs> it's tough because managerially, I think the Rockies have been sort of a hard team to place because they've never really had that big household name manager like some other teams have had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your Buck Walters, your Terry Francona's, your um oh, you I don't know. like Joe Madden and uh Dave uh, Roberts. Yeah. But guys like Don Baylor and Clint Hurdle and honestly even Bud Black have been good managers for this team. And Jim Tracy. Jim Tracy for his, what, four seasons as a manager? He he won manager of the year in 2009 because he righted that ship. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about Walt Weiss. Hey, Walt was fine. He just had nothing. (laughs) That was a weird time for the Rockies. Walt Weiss kind of got the short end of the stick in those seasons. I think he also just really wasn't ready to be a big league manager yet. Yeah, maybe not quite yet because he was what going straight from high school. Yeah, he went straight from high school to being a big league manager, and now he's taking a much more traditional approach. He's the he's the bench coach for the Atlanta Braves, and I think we'll see Walt be a manager again at some point. I think he Uh has that capability in him, but Uh he inherited a very bad Rockies team, and there's a lot of front office kerfuffles happening. And not exactly having at one point having two GMs or a GM setting up an office in the clubhouse. Yeah. And it was a mess. And then Jeff Breidich comes in. I love Walt the player and I love Walt the person. I just don't love Walt the 2013 to 2016 manager. (sighs) Could have been Giambi. He interviewed for that position that year. That would have been interesting. I feel like it would have been interesting, but I feel like Giambi would have had a lot of the same issues that Walt Weiss had. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but also both former Oakland Athletics. There you go. <laughs> you mean the Las Vegas Athletics? See, I'm I'm starting to think that's not gonna happen. I hope it doesn't, because that'd be hilarious. I I also hope it doesn't because it is exactly what you know Fisher and Kavala deserve. So we'll see. But uh, uh, that will conclude our inaugural draft. Not too bad. Here to recap, uh, Evan's team, he got Larry Walker, Nolan Arenado at third base, Andres Galarraga first base, Trevor Story shortstop, Brendan Rogers second base, center field Dexter Fowler, left field Brad Hopp, catching Elias Diaz, starting on the mound Kyle Freeland, and Brian Fuentes is the closer with Don Baylor at the helm as the manager. I have first baseman Todd Helton, uh, center fielder Carlos Gonzalez, second baseman DJ LeMahieu, shortstop Troy Tulowitzki, uh, right field Charlie Blackman, 
Left field, Matt Holiday. Third base, Vinny Castilla. Catching Joe Girardi. Starting on the mound, Ubaldo Jimenez. And catching Houston Street with Clint Hurdle at the helm. Not too shabby. Yeah, uh, honestly, I think those are those are two very... And obviously, you know, they're made up of some of the best players in Rockies history, but I don't think anyone would turn down either of those lineups. If if you're in like a nebulous void of time and time doesn't matter, age doesn't matter, and you go, here are your two choices for your Colorado Rockies starting lineup today, I think you'd be happy with either one. No, but no. that doesn't matter. What matters is what you think. So let us know on Twitter and in the comments uh, who you think has the better lineup. Indeed, and maybe we'll even have Evan put it into MLB the show. I'm down to do that. That'd be pretty fun. Anyways, that's going to do it here for this edition of Affected by Altitude. We've run a little bit long, but as always, we appreciate you sticking around. Uh, Evan, where can the folks find you? You can find me at Evan underscore Lang 27 on Twitter. I would love to hear from you. You can also catch me uh, every Thursday doing the Thursday rock pile and the Thursday game coverage on purplerow.com. Uh, also hit us up on the Rocky Mountain Rooftop Twitter account, which is at Rocky MTN Rooftop and uh, at Affected by Altitude, the official Twitter account for Affected by Altitude. And we ran long because we did the fun stuff for longer. Let's be let's be real. Mm-hmm. We took a little extra time to have some fun, and and sometimes you need that in life. It's true, and hopefully we can do some other drafts and have some more fun stipulations on them. Absolutely, and whatnot. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sideline underscore crowd. Fun stuff there, and then always writing at purplerow.com on the Wednesday rock piles. Also, be sure to check out the Every Rocky Ever podcast, which is part of our Rocky Mountain Rooftop Network. Uh, it comes out every other like second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Uh, or so. And this most recent one, we talked about Michael Kadire. And so it was a lot of fun talking about that. I love uh, Cuddy. Aaron Cook, he's here at the Rockies game for the weekend. We have, he was one of our first episodes. Go back and look at that. And here's talk about Aaron Cook and the legacy he left as a pitcher on the, on the Rockies. Good episode. Both of those very good episodes. Um, you can also look forward to now that I am finally full, mostly fully healthy again, uh, we're finally getting out our May episode of the uh, Pebble Report monthly podcast. Uh, we're going to record that at some point here in this weekend. It should be out the same week as this episode, probably on Tuesday. So look forward to that. And also be sure to let us know, like leave a review on the podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review and hopefully it's five stars. Yeah, uh, especially if you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, please feel free to go down and just leave a review because um, we we love to hear your feedback. But also, you know, getting reviews, especially higher rated reviews, does help the show to grow and expand. Indeed. And let us know what other content you want. Like, you know, what Rockies do you want us to hear on every Rocky ever? Uh, extra shows, content you want to hear from us. We're here for the fans and also for ourselves. And to just talk about Rockies baseball. But as always, we, we appreciate all your support and listening to the show and sharing it around. And be sure to follow us and interacting here on the Twitters. But that'll do it here for this week's edition of Affected by Altitude. As always, I'm Skyler. That's Evan. And we'll see you next time. Hit him with it, Evan. Farewell. Go Nuggets. Go Nuggets. I can't find the end record button.